is Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you are listening to the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM, talking all things sports with a special focus on our Auburn Tigers here on the Plains. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345 or 334-844-WEAGLE, and you can also find me on Instagram at Lock. Let's climb into the nest. Welcome into the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. This is your host, Daniel Locke, coming to you live from the Bradley Basin Studio in the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University. If you would like to be a part of today's action, you can tweet at me at Daniel J. Locke or DM me on Instagram at TheDanielLock. Without further ado, let's get into the nest. We have a very special guest joining us today on the Eagle's Nest. We are joined by the president of Auburn Student Section, the AU Jungle, and half of Weagle 91.1 FM's longest-tenured sports show, The Scoreboard. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Jacob Hillman. Thank you for the great welcome, Daniel. It's an honor to be on your show. It's only, is this your second show, third show? Third. Third show, okay. Yeah, it's great to be on. Uh, You're doing a great job so far, um, improving every time. I'll say that. Thank you. I appreciate it. I learned from the best. Oh yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun this weekend. So, um, how was your trip to Baton Rouge? Man, it was awesome. Let me tell you, it you were there, you know what it was like to see in Tiger Stadium after Auburn got its first win in Death Valley since 1999. Neither of us were alive for that, so it was just a great to be a part of that. Got to smoke a cigar inside Tiger Stadium just to honor that 1999 football team. Shout out to Cole Kulik and Ben Leard, who, hey man, they feel like they started that curse, but I mean, hey, they were the ones that won that game, so. I, I give them all the credit in the world for what they did for Auburn and what they continue to do for Auburn. But, I mean, it was just a lot of fun. I'll say the atmosphere was awesome. All the LSU fans, other than one uh, that we encountered, they were awesome. They were nice to us. They really made uh, us Auburn fans feel welcome. Just, you know, it was just a fun back and forth. The Tiger Bait chants were awesome. They were doing it all in good fun. I love that stuff. So, it was a blast because I really like the um, – I really like to have that um, – interaction with different fan bases. When I went to Penn State a few weeks ago, it was the same way. So it, it, it was a blast. Yeah, it was. And um, it was a lot of fun. Like you said, I only had one bad interaction with an LSU yeah. fan. Um, he actually did hey, threaten me. which a, Yeah, that's yeah. scary. But there's always bad apples. Auburn has them plenty. It just is. Yeah. It is what it is. I was with my two uncles who are both very, very active in the gym, so I was not scared. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. He just would have had to uh, pause your activity. I, th- I think he was drinking a little too much. That's usually what the uh, the, the issue is. So. Yeah, that's hey, what it is. It's part I, of fun. Hey, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We won, and it was a lot of fun. So even if something had happened, Auburn won, we had a good time. Yeah, we made it work. A lot of fun. Great weekend. Great weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you ended the uh, you ended a little the week ended the weekend a little bit. No, I ended the weekend on Bourbon Street. It ended fine. The the middle was a little rough. Okay, I got you. So that wasn't the the Saints game. But, hey, look, it it is what it is. The Saints will figure it out. Oh, yeah, they will. And if you're ever in New Orleans, the Roosevelt Hotel is the way to go. Really? Oh, yeah. Best hotel in New Orleans. I'll I'll keep that in mind whenever all the makes the Super Bowl this year. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about what you've been doing um, since your tenure has started as the president of the jungle. So basically the big thing we have been focused on I joined. Yes, yes, Daniel is a part, officially a part of the loudest war in the country. And and that's a big thing. We've always been kind of felt like a student organization, but we weren't official. And I feel like with becoming officially a student organization, there are more avenues we can use to make being a part of the jungle the best experience possible. So you need to, you really want to make sure that um, you do everything the best you can as president of the jungle and just use our resources the best to our advantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really excited to be a part of it, and um, 
I think that we're going to do big things this basketball season. Um, we have a great recruiting class. Obviously, Bruce Pearl's a phenomenal coach. I think that we're going to get it done in a big way this year, and um, I think we're going to kind of take back our place as an elite squad in the SEC. Well, we're going to see that tonight whenever we face uh, Jabar, when we see Jabari Smith and his, his crew along with him, Walker Kessler, Wendell Green, Zeb Jasper, those are the newcomers. We'll also see Devin Cambridge, Jalen Williams. They're coming back. We will see them tonight at tip-off at Tumors. So if you're in Auburn, go check that out. The forecast looked a little bad earlier, but it's sunshine out there. But what I'll say about the jungle is just that it was created uh, when Auburn basketball was not good. <laughs> it was created back in 2013 by uh, a good friend of mine, Jacob Varner. He uh, was the first president of the jungle, and I stood next to him my freshman year. And that's kind of how I really got into it. I realized, man, I'm really passionate about this. He was passionate about it. Um, and, and that's the thing is we want to make sure that even though we're becoming an official student organization and we are kind of going to try to spread our influence to all sports. So, so here, here's the idea is that we want to help out the support with women's basketball, baseball, softball, everything else, volleyball, soccer, whatever it is, football too, but there's not much you have to do with football. That is such an event. That is such a spectacle that we don't really need to go in and change anything or do much. Like We'll promote it on social media, but that's really all we need to do. And with all that being said, we want to make sure we don't shy away from our roots. We always remember the fact that this was created because men's basketball, they passionate students did it because they wanted to have fun in basketball games and, and really make a difference. And that's what they did because, like I said, they weren't very good. Auburn wasn't when the jungle was created. And the reason they wanted to cheer was instead of reacting to a play, because there weren't very many plays to react to if you're an Auburn fan, it was to cheer on the team and, you know, encourage them, make sure they do good. You want to keep cheering and you want to create the most intimidating home court advantage possible. That was just a small group of students back then. Now we're looking to become the biggest official organization on campus. That's our goal. And that's that way we can keep everyone in the loop, get everyone involved, because obviously there's only 1,500 seats in the jungle, and you've seen those lines. Like when college game day was here, that line was out to, uh, I believe, I guess that's Donahue. Yeah, Donahue Drive. Uh, that was crazy. The craziest scene I've ever seen. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of it this year, along with you, Baymark, so many others here at Weagle. We're going to have a great time. And uh, one thing, do you know if um, Auburn Arena has been listed on any type of list of toughest places to play yet, or are we building up to that? Well, yeah, it definitely has been listed at places there are. You know, it kind of depends, because obviously you see the usual suspects at the top. Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, places like that. But... What I'll say, there's there's one ESPN analyst, Jimmy Dykes. He loves the jungle. One time he brought his daughter for a game, and she had she had a blast. I forget what game it was, but it was uh, my sophomore year, right before COVID hit. And and he brought his daughter, and he said she had a blast. But he always loves hyping up what the jungle is because he he just I mean, the broadcasters are right in front of us. They they hear it. They really feel it. Tom Tom Hart against Alabama in overtime. Auburn hit a few threes, took the lead, and it was just a scene of what he called the Cathedral of Chaos. And that and that and that's just really what we like to bring. We like to bring chaos. We like to bring intimidation. And we just like to have a good time. That's the thing is when a team comes in, be respectful, but, hey, give it to them. Give it to them and have a good time doing it and obviously cheer on Auburn. That That's the biggest thing is make sure you're there and showing up. Even on those Tuesdays and Wednesday games at 8 o'clock, be there because that's when they most need your support. And, you see that trend in SEC basketball is a lot of schools lose those midweek games that are late at night. There's not a lot of attendance. Those home teams are losing because the away team, they don't have to deal with the crowd. So we want to make sure that we build up that environment and keep the environment going throughout the whole season, whether it's Alabama or Kentucky or when we're playing Vanderbilt in February. That's It doesn't matter. We want to make sure it's the same level every single game. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll never forget my first game in the jungle, that uh, the Ole Miss game in February of 2020. That was loud. And then the next week, I loved it so much, I came back the very next yeah. week for, <laughs> for the A&M game, which didn't, didn't go as yeah. well. But one thing that stands out to me about that game is during a timeout late in the second half, I forget A&M's basketball coach, but he moved their— Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams moved their huddle away because they couldn't hear over the jungle. Wow. So they had like moved further away. I can't remember exactly was, where they was. Was this the first time out in the second half? Because yeah. I, I, what I recall from that game is both halves Auburn came out hot, and they and each time Williams had to call a timeout. Which hey, let me let me give respect to Buzz Williams because it worked because he adjusted well and won that game. But 
that that's what it's about. That's what it's about. You want to get in those players' head, talk to them pregame. You want to make sure they know you're there. Admiral Schofield, he remembered me. So the regular season game, we played them one week before the SEC tournament game my freshman year. Our little group, we were getting that Admiral. And he, he had a great game in Auburn Arena. They lost that game. But the very next week, he came out and he started talking to the students on the floor. And he was he was hyped up. Now, he scored four points and had four fouls in that game. <laughs> so it, that game was not very good for him. But th- that's what it's about. They, they remember. And I think it was John Petty. It was after my freshman year game. He said that was one of the most insane places to play ever. Well, opposing players are giving, especially from Alabama, are giving credit like that. That's something. Yeah, it's um, it's so cool to see, especially because other than Charles Barkley, Auburn doesn't really have a great history as a basketball program. I think from 1999, maybe 98, to about 2003, they had they had a pretty good high with Cliff Ellis. But other than that, you're correct. Doc Robinson and cannot recall the other guy's name, but Doc Robinson, he was leading the charge there, and it was a great time to be an Auburn basketball fan. But other than that, like you said, Charles Barkley was the only other time it was. There's not much history there. And now Bruce Pearl's really built it up. And, and like I said, the reason the jungle is so great is because he interacts with students. He, he loves talking to students. You just see the energy he brings. It's awesome. And that's why you can get guys, get, get fans to show up like they do. Oh, yeah, you got to love it. Um, I love, one thing I love is I love looking on StubHub now that I don't have to pay for tickets and see how expensive they are. Right. I hated it last year or the year before last. I was like, dang, I want to go, but that's a a lot of money. But just seeing the passion and the enthusiasm is great. And I love the college-style arena of eight, 9,000 seats. Since I've heard you refer to Coleman Coliseum as the Tuscaloosa Regional Airport, which I find very funny. I think we should put that on a T-shirt. But it's just I hate that NBA-style arena. It just doesn't feel as special. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like Duke did it perfectly, and Auburn modeled its arena after Duke. Put the students on the floor right there. That's the most important thing. And then the furthest seat from the floor is 43 feet. So if you, that is as far as you get away, and there's not a bad seat in that place. So that's how you keep everyone engaged, even even not even talking about the students. Those that are in the upper decks, they're engaged because they feel like they are on top of the game. Oh, yeah, I've sat up there. I am actually waved at you from the yes, student section yes. up there. Uh, we did that little flashlight connect thing. Right. But – that's a great view, and I felt like I was right on top of Ole Miss when they were coming down to try to shoot. Yep, and it's just you just you can't get that many places in the SEC. No, I mean I'm trying to think. I think Ole Miss they when they renovated they fixed it where it's like that. Other than that, I mean Georgia's not like that. Florida is similar. Uh, they they have a lot of seats, but their students are on the floor at least. So. Do we play Florida on the road this year? We do not. We host them on January 8th. That's the Saturday before classes start. Okay, I know we go to Georgia, correct? Correct, because Georgia, Alabama, and Ole Miss are our two permanent games where we play them home and away. Okay, that makes sense. And I know Kentucky's here since that's the day after my birthday. Right, that, hey, hopefully, hopefully they give you a good birthday present. I really hope so. I mean, I'll definitely have to get out there early that next day. Oh, absolutely. But... Let, let me tell you, just, you'll see tonight, you'll be there. Tonight you'll see that this team is bought in, they're good, and they're having a great time doing it. So that, that that's the most important thing is that, they buy in because Bruce has said it. He said, one, they're Final Four caliber. Two, they're going to get better as the year goes. So once SEC play starts, that's when you're going to start seeing the drastic improvements. Because non-conf play, two years ago, Auburn went undefeated, even with a newish team coming off the Final Four run. This year, this past year, obviously situational. It, it was not good. But this upcoming year, look out. It's definitely going to be fun to see where it goes. That's all the time we have for this segment. We are about to take a break. Jacob, thank you so very much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Daniel. Uh, I'll enjoy the rest of your show. Thank you. Welcome back into the Eagle's Nest. This is your host, Daniel Locke. In the last segment, we had the privilege of being joined by Jacob Hillman, the president of Auburn Student Section the AU Jungle and half of the Auburn or Eagle 91.1 FM's longest tenured sports show. It was so great to be able to talk to him and get his insight on all things Auburn basketball and recapping our trip to LSU and all that fun stuff. If you missed that, you can find the recording of today's show wherever you find your podcasts. And we're going to move into some MLB postseason baseball talk. 
The wild card games are in the books. The Boston Red Sox, a team that is well loved here at Weagle, hosted the New York Yankees in the American League wild card game at Fenway Park on Tuesday night. The Red Sox picked up the win at home in convincing fashion, beating the Yankees 6-2. The Sox knocked Garrett Cole out of the game in the top of the third inning after he allowed three runs. Nathan Eovaldi tossed a gem for the Red Sox, going five and a half innings with eight strikeouts and only one earned run. Boston will face the Tampa Bay Rays in the divisional round. The 106-win Los Angeles Dodgers somehow got stuck in the wildcard round. They hosted the red-hot St. Louis Cardinals in a low-scoring battle. The Dodgers claimed a 3-1 victory over, over the Cardinals. Adam Wainwright balled out, going for five and one-third inning and only allowed one run. The Dodgers put across two runs in the bottom of the ninth to seal the deal and clinch a berth in the divisional round against the San Francisco Giants. In the divisional rounds, first, the Atlanta Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers. The NL team who has my heart won their fourth straight National League East pennant. They did this without Ronald Acuna Jr., who tore his ACL back in July. The Braves have had a bumpy ride get here, but they made it. The Milwaukee Brewers won the NL Central after a somewhat close race with the Cardinals. I think the Braves will be hungry after blowing a 3-1 series lead to L.A. last year in the NLCS. With that being said, I don't think it'll be easy, but I think the Braves will win the series in five games and advance to the National League Championship Series for the second straight year. On the other side of the National League, you have the L.A. Dodgers facing off against a team they know very well, the San Francisco Giants. The two teams had a very competitive race for the NL West title, but San Fran was able to pull it out. The Dodgers probably had one of the best records ever for a team who got stuck in a wild card game. I am looking forward to watching this series. I think it will be five hard-fought, down-to-the-wire baseball games, and the winner will have to fight tooth and nail to earn their spot in the NLCS. I think the Dodgers will be the team that prevails, which would set them up for a rematch with the Atlanta Braves, which I will get into in just a second. On the American League side, you have the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. Game 1 is underway right now as we speak, and no one has scored yet. This is an intriguing matchup, an electric Houston offense facing off against an amazing Chicago defense. Sign me up for that anytime. I'm extremely excited to see this series play out. The White Sox are a breath of fresh air this postseason, and it's nice to see someone new. I think that Houston is going to sneak through some important runs, which will ultimately give them an edge, and I think they will move on to the American League Championship Series. The last divisional round series is my Boston Red Sox taking on American, East, American League East rival Tampa Bay Rays. This is another intriguing matchup. There's nothing like Boston in the playoffs. The Rays are in for a battle, both with the Sox and with the Sox fans who travel very well and make for an absolutely electric atmosphere at Fenway Park. The Sox have slipped a bit from their hottest point in the season where it seemed like they were running away with American League East. I remember back in June at Fenway Park, I was looking down at the American League East leaderboard, which is one of the last um, hand-operated scoreboards of any kind in Major League Baseball, which is really cool. Everyone should go to Fenway at least once. I'm, I'm convinced of that. But I remember looking down at that board, and I think at that point Boston was eight and a half games up and it just in the American League East, and it just seems like they've fallen so far. But, you know, it is what it is. They made the wild card round. They beat the Yankees. Now they get a chance to go head-to-head with Tampa Bay in five games. This is an intriguing one, too. Um... I'm looking forward to seeing how competitive it is. Game 1 is tonight. Eduardo Rodriguez is on the mound for Boston, while Shane McClanahan will get the nod for Tampa Bay. I think this series will be all about pitching. I think we're in for a lot of competitive mound face-offs and low-scoring games. Call me a homer. I don't care. Red Sox all day. Boston gets this one done, I believe. Moving into the League Championship Series. In the National League, I have a rematch between the Braves and the Dodgers. The Dodgers ripped out Atlanta's heart last year, coming back from being down three games to one. 
I remember being so sad after that Game 7. But it is a new year. Atlanta has another opportunity to avenge that loss. It will be tough, but Atlanta will fight, and I think they will prevail. The L.A. Dodgers would be in for the fight of their lives if this matchup were to come true. I think Atlanta gets it done and advances to their first World Series appearance since 1999. And I just remember in the around the middle of that series, about the Game 4 point, when Atlanta went up 3-1, to one, it just seemed like the Braves were untouchable. And to think that they would come back and lose that series was just absolutely mind-blowing. And it's just, it's sad that they fell that far, but you know, that's just the way sports are sometimes. On the other side of the league, we have the Boston Red Sox and the Houston Astros. I think this is going to be the American League Championship Series, and I think it will be competitive, but, you know, not quite as thrilling as the National League Championship Series would be if my predictions are correct. I think Boston will power through and get their get this series under control early. I think they'll win two or three off the bat. Um, I think Houston will give them a scare and pick up one or two games, but I think that Boston would get it done in five or six. But if Houston were to win, I see it being a seven-game series. This one will be fun to watch. Um, on You have two of the most disliked teams in baseball, neither of which have a great reputation. Uh, Houston's is definitely a lot worse. But you still have a lot of talented players on the Astros, such as Jose Altuve, Carlos Carrera, Alex Bregman. Um, you have... They have Dusty Baker making the calls for them. Just a very, very overall talented team. One that is never easy to beat. They play very, very hard. And they're going up against the Red Sox, who, you know, Alex Cora is their manager. Very, very talented. Um, I like what he does with uh, leading the Sox. He was the manager of the 2018 Red Sox squad that uh, brought home the Commissioner's Trophy in November. Also, you have a lot of great Red Sox players. Um, Nathan Eovaldi, Chris Sale, just a ton of great, Eduardo Rodriguez, a ton of great pitchers, great infielders, great outfielders. One of the most complete top-to-bottom rosters in Major League Baseball. It'll just be very interesting to see which way this series goes. I, I do think it'll go in favor of the Red Sox, however. Now, if my predictions are correct, this World Series would be an absolute dream for me. My two favorite teams going head-to-head in the Fall Classic. I wouldn't have to be stressed. I could just sit back and enjoy some great baseball. It sounds really, really nice. If someone were to force me to choose, I think I would have to go with the Braves to win. If, um, because the Red Sox have won in 04, 07, 2013, and 2018. They've won four championships since I've been alive. The the Braves haven't even been to the World Series since 1999, around the same time that before this weekend, Auburn had won in Baton Rouge. So, you know, we might see both those streaks in this year. Um, that I would love that a lot. Jacob Hillman, who joined that for the first half, for joined us for the first segment of the show, would love that a lot. He's a big Braves fan, and I just think that would be so awesome for the Braves fan base. You have a brand new stadium that's just voted one of the best places to watch a game in the MLB. I I really, really like that matchup. Great players on both sides. The Braves have, the the pitching is what scares me the most with them. But obviously you have the reigning defending National League MVP and Freddie Freeman. You have very, very talented players in the outfield, even with Ronald Acuna Jr. being hurt. You have Ozzie Albies on second base. You have the man Austin Riley at third base. Just that team is scary, and they're competitive, and they're scrappy, and they do not go down easily. I could definitely see Atlanta giving Boston a very tough fight if this matchup were to come to fruition. I think that Atlanta would win that in seven games. Um, I believe since yeah, Atlanta is the higher seed. Um, So if this matchup were to come true, Atlanta would have home field advantage, meaning that they would have games 1, 2, 5, and 7 at home, which are 
definitely the most important games in a season or in a playoff series of seven games. Because I know in the NBA they're especially important because the winner of Game Five has won some crazy high amount of like the last twenty finals. Whoever won Game Five took home the series. So a very very pivotal pivotal game. So I'm predicting the Atlanta Braves to win the World Series this year. Hold me to that. Let's see how that goes. I will be traveling over to Atlanta on Monday night to watch them play the Brewers in Game 3. I'm going to that with some very good friends of mine. I'm looking forward to it as always. It's my first uh, Major League Baseball playoff game. Any game in Atlanta is always fun, but I feel like that one would be extra special. So we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, When we come back, we will be talking about NFL Weeks 4 and 5. They didn't go that, week four didn't go that well for me. Maybe we'll bounce back this week. Um, So, yes, keep it right here. You're listening to the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. I am Daniel Locke. Welcome back into the Eagle's Nest. This is your host, Daniel Locke. We've had a great show so far today. In the first segment, we've had Jacob Hillman on. We talked about the Auburn jungle, our trips down the Baton Rouge, and everything in between. We love Jacob around here. He's a great friend of the show. He's taught me so much here at Weagle, and I'm very, very fortunate to have a mentor like him. Just a stand-up guy. He loves this school. He loves this organization, and we need more of him at Auburn. We then went on to talk about the MLB postseason. I gave my takes. Uh, I'm going to get called a homer a lot on Twitter, but uh, be that as it may. If you missed any of that, you can catch it on the podcast, which I'll upload shortly after the completion of today's show. Now, it is time for some NFL talk. NFL Week 4 was one I would personally like to forget for uh, reasons I'll get into later. We started off with a banger on Thursday Night Football. Uh, Trevor Lawrence got to meet up with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase again up in Cincinnati. It was definitely Trevor and Jacksonville's best game as they put up 21 points and were competitive the whole time. Trevor went 17 for 24 for 204 yards. Joe Burrow went nuts. He went 25 for 32 with 348 yards and two touchdowns. That's one one heck of a stat line. Since he got it done, 24 to 21, and Urban Meyer had a little too much fun in his return to Ohio. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about that, but I'm pretty sure y'all know what I'm referring to. Uh, If not, you should look it up. It's funny. Moving into Sunday, the Washington football team had Georgia on their minds this weekend as they traveled down to Atlanta to face off against the Falcons. Taylor Heineke looked awesome, going 23 for 33 for 290 yards and three touchdowns. Matty Ice did well, too, going 25 for 42 for 283 yards and four touchdowns. Washington got it done 34 to 30. In the biggest blowout we've seen so far this year, the Houston Texans and Davis Mills traveled up to Buffalo. Davis made his second career uh, start, and um, I don't think he's going to want the game ball from that one very much. Buffalo punished Houston with a 40-0 beatdown. Mills threw for four interceptions, which is the biggest thing that stands out to me personally from that game. Moving on, we had the Detroit Lions taking on their NFC North rival, the Chicago Bears. The Bears got this one done at home, 24-14. Jared Goff looked a little bit like his former self that led the Rams to the Super Bowl, He went 24 for 38 with 299 yards and two touchdowns. The Ohio State man, Justin Fields, who is making his first few starts for the Chicago Bears, he did did okay. Not, Not too good, not too bad, okay. He went 11 for 17 for 209 yards and one touchdown. Um... I've been saying for a few years now that the Bears were a quarterback away. I'm gonna need uh, I'm gonna need Justin Fields to start proving me right. Moving out west, the Carolina Panthers, who were three and zero, went out to take on the Dallas Cowboys out in Jerry World in Dallas, Texas. This one was I, I could see some Panthers fans not wanting to remember this one. As the game at halftime, Carolina held the lead 14-13. to 
And then in the second half, Dallas came out and scored 20 points, which led them to a 36-28 lead. Sam Darnold is still looking good as he went for the Panthers, as he went 26 for 39 for 301 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Dak Prescott, looked, he didn't look too bad either, going 14 for 22 for 188 yards and four touchdowns. If I'm the Panthers quarterback coach, which of course I'm not and I probably never will be, I, I'm finding a way for Sam Darnold to limit these interceptions if they can get those under control, I think this team could really be something special. So hopefully uh, Sam gets that going. Going down south, the Indianapolis Colts went to South Beach to play the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they they left as happy as they came in, going t- beating the Dolphins 27-17 to earn their first win of the year. Carson Wentz looked a little bit like the 2017 Carson Wentz that had his MVP-type season cut short that gave Nick Foles the chance to lead the Eagles to the Super Bowl victory. But anyways, Wentz went 24 for 32, 228 yards and two touchdowns. On the other side for the Dolphins, Jacoby Brissett, he went 20 for 30 with 199 yards and two touchdowns. A very, very interesting game. It was close at halftime, as many NFL games are, but then Indianapolis came out and would not stop. My personal favorite game of the week was the Cleveland Browns going up to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Anyone who knows me knows that I have no love for the Vikings. They broke my heart as a Saints fan, and I will never forgive them. They've done that twice, actually. and um, The first time they earned it, Marcus Williams messed up. The second time... um. The refs definitely had a lot to do with that. And, you know, New Orleans fans know that all too well, being messed with by officials. Anyways, Cleveland got this one done, 14-7. Just I love defense. Very fun to watch for me. Baker Mayfield did not do very good. He went 15 for 33 for 155 yards. He's making me look very stupid in my fantasy football leagues as I took him number three overall. And uh, I regret that every day. But, you know, you live and you learn. Now, this game has been probably my least favorite NFL game so far this year. I was very excited to get back into the Superdome to see my Saints play in front of a full crowd for the first time since January 6th of 2020 when they played that Vikings game that I mentioned a minute ago that ended in complete heartbreak. Um, I was at that game, too, so I was very excited to get back in the Dome. I even was quoted last week here on the Eagle's Nest and last Thursday morning on Jack Hart's morning show, Compact Discourse, saying how I thought the Giants were a cupcake, and um, they forced me to eat those words. And, um, yeah, they made me look pretty stupid as they beat us 27-21 to in overtime. I don't know where this came from, but Daniel Jones of the New York Giants, who I've made a lot of fun of here on the show, went 28 for 40 for 402 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Jameis Winston on our side had an okay day, 17 for 23, 226 yards, and a touchdown. Saquon, um, not too good, 13 carries, 52 yards, one touchdown, which for your average run-of-the-mill running back, that, that's a decent day, but when you're supposed to lead this team out of the shadows back into their former selves, that's not very good. My man Alvin Kamara on the other side, 26 carries for 120 yards. I think that's too many. If we do nothing but run with Kamara, I think he will get hurt, which will not be very, very good because without Kamara... I really don't like to think about what this offense will look like, so we need to find some balance. Jameis needs to throw more and throw more effectively. The other New York team won as well, as the New York Jets hosted Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry up in New Jersey, beating them 27-24, to also in overtime. Two overtime games this week, and I didn't get to see any of this one, and I haven't gone back to look at the highlights, but Ryan Tannehill threw the ball a lot. He went 30 for 49, 298 yards, and one touchdown. 
Zach Wilson had his best game yet, which I predicted last week that the Titans' defense was going to look comparable this week. But um, I was wrong on that, as I am many things I'm coming to learn with my sports predictions. But Zach Wilson went 21 for 34 for 297 yards, two touchdowns, and only one interception, which is good. Um, Find a way to get rid of that interception and maybe score a touchdown, and I would have nothing to complain about. But I hopped on the anti-Zach Wilson bandwagon, and I'm going to stay there until he wins MVP. Derrick Henry looked good, Uh, 33 carries, 157 yards, and one touchdown. I enjoy watching Derrick Henry do well, even though he won the Heisman Trophy at the University of Alabama. Very, very fun player to watch, very good guy. The Kansas City Chiefs traveled to the city of brotherly love to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. On my Tuesday afternoon hockey show with Eamon Smith, Eamon is a big Eagles guy, so... He was texting me during this game. He was very, very disappointed with the way it ended. But the Chiefs won 42-30. to So I really, really thought that the Eagles might pull this one out, especially when it was close at the end of the first quarter. But then I had to remind myself that there are four quarters, not one. So it is a full game. And it doesn't matter what you do early. It is all about how you finish. So, unfortunately, that one did not go too well. The last week four game I'm going to talk about, Tom Brady made his return to New England to face off against Bill Belichick, Mac Jones, and New England Patriots. Tom threw the ball a ton, going 22 for 43 for 269 yards, no touchdowns. Mac Jones did really, really well going 31 for 40 for 275 yards and two touchdowns. One interception, though. Um, But I still think that he outperformed Tom Brady in this game. But that Patriots defense is good since um, they shut down this high-octane Buccaneers offense. So it'll be interesting to see how they do this year. That's the last um, Week 4 game I'm going to discuss. Getting into NFL Week 5, tonight we have the L.A. Rams traveling to Seattle to face off against their rival, the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. I'm interested to see how this game goes. I will not be watching it live. I'll be at tip-off at Toomers tonight. If you're an Auburn student or just in Auburn and you're here, please come out to tip-off at Toomers. Please support our wonderful basketball programs, and it'll be a ton of fun. Rain or shine, please come out. The New York Jets will be playing the Atlanta Falcons. This one kicks off at 8.30 a.m. Central Time, which I was in the bullpen before the show came on today talking to Alex Houston, our co-sports director here at Weagle, and I was very confused on why that game kicked off so early, and he mentioned to me that it is um, the NFL's annual London contest. So that will be very cool to watch. The Philadelphia Eagles travel to Charlotte to take on the Panthers. I'm going with the Panthers in that one. Green Bay is traveling to Cincinnati to face off Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and this somewhat decent-looking Bengals team. I'm still riding with Aaron Rodgers, though. If the good Aaron Rodgers shows up, I think that they will win that game. The Denver Broncos travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. The Broncos are probably the worst 3-1 team we've ever seen. But I think that worst 3-1 improves to the worst 4-1 team as they get this one done. My Saints have a shot for redemption against the Washington football team. I won't get to watch this one. I'll be doing play-by-play for Auburn soccer on Sunday. You can tune into that also here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I would love to have you here. Our Auburn team is looking pretty good, but we'll save that talk for Sunday. On Sunday, the 325 primetime game, the New York Giants face off against the Dallas Cowboys. I love NFC East matchups, especially in primetime, because we think they're going to be horrible, but they're always so bad in a way that it's actually funny. So it works out. Sunday night, we have a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that Buffalo is going to get this one done as these Chiefs are not the same as they have been in the past few years. And on Monday Night Football, the Indianapolis Colts 
are facing off against the Baltimore Ravens. And I was talking to Chris Tobias the other day in the studio here at Weagle, and we were talking about how all the primetime games have been so good this year, but it appears that we've jinxed that. Anyways, we are coming up on a break here on the Eagle's Nest. We are going to take some time off, but when we come back, college football, stay here. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back into the Eagle's Nest here on Weagle 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Locke. We've had quite the show today. We were joined by Jacob Hillman at the beginning, the president of the Auburn Jungle and co-sports director here at Weagle, as well as one half of the longest tenured sports show here at Weagle. I hope by the end of my time here I will dethrone them, but in the most loving way possible. Then we moved on to talk about the MLB postseason, and we followed that up with NFL talk, recapping week four, previewing week five, hitting the highlights, which brings us to our finish here today. To close out, we're going to talk about what everyone here at Auburn loves, some college football action. It's going to be a good week. Last week was a good week. Um, I traveled down to Louisiana to see Auburn break that 22-year-old curse had some great family time, some great food, just an all-around great experience. I love Baton Rouge. I had a great time there. Just some other games that stand out from last week in college football. Arkansas proved that their eighth in the country ranking was a little a little too high as they went to Georgia, went to Athens, were on college game day, and got absolutely smoked. The Ole Miss Rebels had a similar treatment. It was my dad's birthday, so my mom got him a little birthday treat. They went to that game. I'm very glad they did that. They had a great time. Um, Luckily, I did not fall into the Bama fan curse. I rose above it, and I'm here at Auburn uh, loving life. So I feel very accomplished in that. Unfortunately, my parents never saw that light. They're both big Bama fans, but, you know, to each their own. I'm glad they had a good day in Bryant-Denny celebrating my dad's 60th birthday. Once again, happy late birthday, Dad. I hope you enjoyed it. Some other highlights from the week. Number three, Oregon, hosted the Stanford Cardinal. No, I'm sorry. They went to Stanford to play. Number three in the nation against an unranked team. What do they do? They lose in overtime. Very, very, nothing's going right for Oregon this year, much like many other teams. I hope they get it figured out. Uh, I like Oregon. College football is better when they're good, but, you know, th- that's an ugly loss. The Florida Gators traveled up to Lexington to play the Kentucky Wildcats, who didn't have a home win against Florida since 1986. Just to put it into perspective what things looked like in 1986, Ronald Reagan was in the White House. Star Wars was at its first peak popularity point. Just a very, very different world. But, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. Um, things don't change very quickly sometimes. But I'm glad Kentucky got this win. I did see some stuff on Twitter how they were saying, we want Bama. As an Auburn fan, I would caution you before you say, we want Bama. Because I guarantee you, as a team who has to play Bama every year, that's not something you always want. The Texas A&M Aggies, the 15th ranked Texas A&M Aggies, hosted the Mississippi State Bulldogs, who won that game in a thriller. And now, this week, they have to host the Alabama Crimson Tide, 7 p.m. CBS primetime. Nick Saban thrives in those types of environments. I do not see that going well for the Aggies. They did not look very good against a lowly Mississippi State team, so I'm not very up on them uh, now, and I think that it'll be realistic to see Auburn get a win up in College Station in a couple weeks. Number 19, Oklahoma State, hosted number 21, Baylor. This one was a lot of fun for a while, I heard. Obviously, I did not get to watch most of it. I was in Baton Rouge, but my friends were texting me about it, saying I needed to check out the highlights as soon as I could. I went and did that, and I was very impressed. It was a lot of fun to watch, and you know, I always enjoy 
Big 12 games that don't have a combined 90 points scored. It's just it's something different, a breath of fresh air, if you will. I just enjoyed it. Now, the biggest game of the week, in my humble opinion, the 22nd-ranked Auburn Tigers. We love them. They traveled to Baton Rouge to face off against the evil Tigers, as I heard them referred to. Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers, who haven't looked great so far this year, but Auburn had that very, very long losing streak going into the game. We rose above it, 24-19. to It was insane. 14 points in the fourth quarter. Um, Bo Nix looked awesome. The stat line isn't insane. 23 for 44, 255 yards, one touchdown. But it's not how many. It's the quality. The quality of those 23 passes. Bo Nix did not give up. He did not go down. He made things happen. And at the end of the game, on the long pass, the Tyler Fromm for the touchdown to put Auburn over the top, and then the interception to seal the deal for the Tigers. Auburn played so hard, and I love I love when Auburn plays in prime time against a team that they're not favored to beat. They look so good. They are scrappy. They fight to the very end of the game. We saw that in Penn State. We saw it last week. It was a lot of fun to watch. It is worth noting Bo Nix was also Auburn's leading rusher, having 74 yards and a touchdown off of 12 carries. John Samuel Schenker was our leading receiver, 102 yards off of five receptions. On the other side for the Bayou Bengals, Max Johnson went 26 of 46, 325 yards, one touchdown, and the one game-sealing interception I just mentioned. And it was a lot of fun to be there. I look forward to my next trip to Baton Rouge. Getting into week six, there are a lot of good matchups on. Not quite as fun as last week, but there's still a lot to unpack here. Number 13, Arkansas, goes to face goes to Oxford to face off number, against number 17, Ole Miss. That one will be fun. Both of those teams coming off both heartbreaking beatdowns, and it'll be really interesting to see how that goes for either side. 2.30, CBS. The Georgia Bulldogs are coming to the Plains to take on our Auburn Tigers. They are number two. We are number one. Or number one, I wish. I wish we were number one. We are ranked number 18. Excuse me. I, saw, I just saw the one and went with what my heart wanted. ESPN's FPI predictor is giving us a 15.5% chance to win. I personally think that's a little low. Never count down Auburn at Jordan-Hare. The spread is 15.5 in favor of the Georgia Bulldogs. The money line is down 800 in favor of Georgia. It is up 550 in favor of Auburn. The over-under is 46.5. No one's giving Auburn a chance. A lot of Auburn fans aren't giving Auburn a chance. But as much as I hate being wrong, I'm willing to risk it in favor of having fun and enjoying the game, enjoying the game day atmosphere leading up to it. And, you know, until it's over, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to have a good time. Um, I know a lot of my fellow Auburn students will too. Getting into the matchup that was absolutely snubbed for college game day. The number four Penn State Nittany Lions, who Auburn fans have a newfound love for in many cases because how well they treated us a couple weeks ago, travel out to Iowa to play the number three Iowa Hawkeyes. This game will be very, very fun to watch. If this was Auburn's bye week, I would have seriously considered making a trip to Iowa. Probably not, but you know. You can talk about stuff. The spread is in favor of the Hawkeyes by one and a half. The money line is up 110 in favor of Penn State, down 130 in favor of Iowa, and the over-under is 41. Personally, I've got to go with Penn State. I like that team a lot. I like Jahan Dotson. He's very hard to stop, and I think that... I think that he'll do good, and I think that he will carry the Nittany Lions to a win. The last game that I'm going to be able to talk about here today on the Eagles' Nest 
the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns will meet up at the Cotton Bowl to face off in the Red River Shootout. They changed the official name to the Red River Rivalry but because of political correctness, but I'm always going to call it the Shootout. That's a lot cooler of a name. I don't think many people will argue with me on that. ESPN's FPI predictor. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention. This is where college game day is going. They absolutely snubbed the top five matchup in Iowa, but, you know, no one asked for my opinion, but there it is. The Oklahoma Sooners facing off against the Texas Longhorns. As I mentioned, ESPN's FPI predictor is giving the Sooners a 56.9% chance to win. The spread is down is three in favor of Oklahoma. The money line down 160 in favor of the Sooners, up 140 underdog to Longhorns. The over-under is 63 and a half. I was told I needed to put more betting lines in, so there you go. Spencer Rattler is not looked like himself this year, throwing an uncharacteristically high four interceptions, but it'll be interesting to see if he can bounce back and limit how many picks he throws and lead his Sooners to a victory against the Longhorns. That's about all the time we have today. Thank you so much for tuning into the Eagles Nest here on Weagle 91.1 FM. As always, we had a great time talking sports, and I look forward to next week. Thanks again to Jacob Hillman for his time today. Have a great fall break, AU. I'm looking forward to tip off at Tumors tonight in the Georgia game on Saturday. And as always, you can check out the podcast soon if you missed any of today's action. Once again, I am Daniel Locke. Thank you so, so much for tuning in to my third episode. I'm getting more and more interaction on Twitter every week. It's Thank you so much. It means the world to me for y'all tuning in. War Eagle. You've been listening to The Eagle's Nest with Daniel Locke on Weagle 91.1 FM. Be sure to tune in next Thursday at 3 o'clock for more sports action on the Plains. As always, if you miss out, you can catch the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at TheDanielLock. Until next time, have a great day and we're Eagle.